before we look at the section today, let's kind of remind ourselves about what the whole book of Philippians was about because that helps us understand what's going on here, what we're going to look at today. That basically, the book of Philippians, remember, was a thank you note. Remember, the apostle Paul was locked in prison um, because he's sharing his faith. He thinks he's going to be executed, um, probably, and eventually he does get executed for sharing his faith. And he's writing a thank you note to the Christians that make up the church in the city of Philippi. And the reason he's writing him a thank you note is because he says in the letter that they had ministered alongside of him in the past, and so he was grateful for that, but also he's really thanking them because they had financially supported Paul and especially supported him when no other churches had, were supporting him. You know, a lot of this like, kind of concept of out of sight, out of mind, that Paul moved on to the next place and churches forgot about him. And he was doing this ministry where he was a tent maker. He made, he made a living through, through literally making tents. But now he's locked in prison and locked in jail. And there, if you were in jail, no one fed you. And so out of sight, out of mind, no one remembered about Paul. But the Philippian church always remembered Paul. So now Paul is, finds himself in prison, facing execution, um, just because of telling people of Jesus. And once again, the Philippian church um, financially is supporting him, literally keeping him alive. Because they're giving him the resources so that he can have food to eat. Um, they're keeping him alive through their support. So Paul takes time in the prison to write them this thank you note. And as we probably remember, there's a theme in the thank you note. And the reason we started this way back when, we started it because of COVID. Because we looked at the fact that Paul was in lockdown, and something that none of us were familiar with. We were in lockdown. And the theme of the book was how do you find joy in lockdown? How do you find joy when life is not going as you planned? You know, Paul is used to traveling, doing what he wants, and now he's locked in prison, and he's writing about how he is joyful and how other people could find joy. And so um, that theme was important this whole last year, but it's also important today. So today we're going to look at the ending of the letter that he wrote, and here what we find is, I think, Paul's kind of final lessons about living in joy in the midst of adversity. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read from chapter 9, or chapter, uh, chapter 4 from verse 10 to verse 20. Ready? You there? Chapter 4, Philippians, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at least you have received your, revived your concern for me. So they're, they're saying, hey, we're, we're, they revived his concern. They gave him something. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He's talking about the opportunity to give. Um, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. It's probably one of the most famous verses, often quoted verses in Christianity and surely from the book of Philippians. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Remember, his affliction is he's locked in prison. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, 
but I seek for the profit which it increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Aphrodite what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, we'll stop right there. I want to do something a little bit different with these verses. What I mean by a little bit different is I'm going to, instead of trying to go real deep on any one thing, and you'll see a purpose behind this, I'm going to instead pull out seven bullet points or seven statements from Paul's final verses here that help us, that show us how we can live lives of joy. So instead of just kind of taking one thing and delving down into it, I want to do this so that if there's going to be seven of them, at the end I'll explain why seven, but seven reminders or seven points that we can use to recall, to confess, to say the truth, or to live into the truth when we feel our joy slipping away. Anybody ever feel like their joy is slipping away? Yeah, I do. These are seven points, and you can think ahead like the end of the book. Why would there be seven? Seven, how many days are there in a week? So seven, seven points that you could think about, you could confess, you can live into when you feel your joy slipping away, or you live so that your joy doesn't slip away. So we're just going to go through these. So seven's a lot. If I normally say I have seven points, I've said it to my family, they go... <laughs> We're never leaving, you know. He's preaching seven points. We're going to go through them quickly. There's bullet points because we've been looking at them. Some of them are kind of review, but looking at them as we look through Philippians. But there are going to be seven points you can jot down and you just remind yourself of as you feel your joy slipping away or to bolster your joy. So ready? Ready to look at these seven um, joy-filled um, promises or statements from Paul? Number one is this. All tied to joy. Number one, contentment is the key. Verse 11, contentment is the key. Not that I speak from want, for I've received, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Or you could say, I am in. Let's remember who's, what's going on here. This is Paul. He's in prison, possibly facing execution. He's writing a thank you note to his friends. We don't find him whining and complaining. We don't say, oh, just pray for my deliverance. What he's saying is this. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Any circumstance I'm in, I've learned to be content. Now, notice what it says there. I have learned to be content. He didn't say that being content is natural because it's not. He didn't say that being content is automatic because it's not, he says he learned how to be content. See, Paul goes on to explain that he, in the next verse, that he had lived in various situations over the span of his life. That he had been times seasons of riches, and he had seasons where he was very poor. He had times in his life when he was well-fed, and there were times in his life when he was hungry. And through that process of life, um, one of the things that God taught him and wants us to learn is where contentment comes from. And what we learn is that contentment doesn't come from what we have. 
that stuff doesn't satisfy. He's saying, I had a lot and I had a little. It didn't make a difference. He said, I've learned to be content regardless of that. He's saying stuff, including relationships with others, are transitory. They come and they go. Everything comes and goes. If you want a, a life, a definition, life defined in one word, this is the one word that defines life. Change. The only thing in life that doesn't change, the only constant in life, is that everything changes. And this is what Paul's dealing with here. Life is change. If you're always just saying, I long for the good old days, you will never find contentment. Because number one, the good old days weren't that good. Going to the bathroom in outhouses on the prairie in the middle of winter wasn't fun. But if you want to go back to the good old days, no. It wasn't so, well, things weren't so good. Um, number one, they weren't so good. Number two, they can't be reclaimed. And Paul's saying, I've learned how to be content in everything. What Paul has learned is that nothing in this world can give contentment. Contentment only comes from having a solid, current, vibrant relationship with Jesus, knowing that he is eternally stable, he is eternally stable, and he's always here with us, and that the future we have with him is completely secure. We call that hope. We have hope because of who God is. The only thing you can't lose and that can't be taken away from you in this world is your relationship with Jesus. And that's the only source of true contentment. So, so Paul recognizes that joy comes from contentment and contentment comes from Jesus. Joy comes from contentment and contentment comes from Jesus. Nothing you possess will ever lead you to contentment. Nothing you achieve will ever lead you to contentment. And the earlier we learn this, the better off we will be for this reason. We will stop chasing the ghost of contentment. We'll stop chasing the ghost called contentment that says, if only this, then I'll be content. If only that, then I'll be content. If I have that, if I have this much of that, if I go there, if I live there, if I do this, I will find, if I just lived in the mountains, I'd be content. Suzanne loves the ocean. What was that thing I wanted to buy you? We just didn't everyone bring it back. Um, I love you to the beach and back. <laughs> you know, I love you to the beach. Suzanne is a beach girl. She was born to be on the beach. But we know this. Just being on the beach won't lead to contentment. There's nothing in this world that will lead to contentment. Some of it might be nice, but it won't lead to contentment because after two months on the beach, you go, there's got to be something more than sand. Right? Remember the movie Castaway? Eventually, you start talking to beach balls, you know, or volleyballs, you know, because there's got to be something more than sand. You know, so nothing in this world... It brings contentment. We learn that contentment is only found in Jesus. That's point number one. Point number two, don't link God's love to your situation. Don't link God's love to your situation. This is going to be hard for some of you to get your minds around because you think exactly the opposite. Don't link God's love to your situation. Look at verse 12. I, I know how to get along in humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and the secret of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. 
Think about who's writing this. This is the superstar Christian of all time. If you say, who are the top three most influential Christians of all time? Number one is Jesus. <laughs> Number two, Paul. No one, would discard, no one would deny that. Paul. Paul is the superstar Christian. The apostle Paul. No one would ever question his relationship with God. No one would ever question that the favor of God is on his life. Matter of fact, I was dealing with a pastor recently, and things are going really good in his life, and we were with a bunch of pastors, and he kept saying this, well, it's the favor of God. It's the favor of God. It's the favor of God. And finally I said, he's much younger than me, and I was biting my tongue, and I'm like, <laughs> finally I said, dude, you think the favor of God just rests on you and these other guys it doesn't? You just happen to be in a season of blessing right now. But these guys aren't. It's not just the favor of God. If anybody had the favor of God in his life, it was the Apostle Paul. No one would ever question if he had the favor of God in his life. No one would ever question God's love for the Apostle Paul. One time when Paul was at his worst, and he was at his breaking point, Jesus appears to him and encourages him. Who else ever has that? You know, Paul. This is Paul, right? Yet he had seasons of abundance under your seat, he had seasons of hardship. He had seasons of lack. Remember how Paul gives his, his testimony? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been starved. All those things. He knew hardship more than any of us in this place. Yet Paul was joy-filled. How? He didn't link God's love to his situation. This is so important to understand. So oftentimes when times are difficult, the first thing that people come to me and say who are followers of Jesus, they say, you know, where's God in all this? God just doesn't love me. Well, if God loved me, he would have never let that happen to me. If God loved me, he would heal me. If God loved me, he would rescue me. If, 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 if. If God loved me, all these things would be different. And we mistakenly link God's love to our situation. Paul doesn't do that at all, not for a second. See, he was filled with joy because he knew that, diff that, 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 that difficulty wasn't tied to God's love for him. God loved him. He settled that on the cross. You don't ever question God's love for you. God settled his love for you on the cross. He hung and he died for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. The question of God's love is never in question. God settled his love for you on the cross. So negative situations are never, ca are never caused for us to blame God or question his love. When Paul went through hard times, he didn't go, well, you know what? God loved me when it was all going good, but God doesn't love me when it's going bad. He says, God loves me in all of it. Negative situations are tied to the effects of sin in this world. They're not tied to the lack of God's love for you in this world. God loves you, and he made a beautiful world for you. We're the ones, humanity, that messed it up. Sin is a result... Difficulty is a result of sin, not the result of God's lack of love. And in love, 
God is redeeming us from sin. That's why we become born again. We get renewed in Christ. We get a brand new life. We get eternal life. And then we become developed in Christ's likeness. We grow and we mature because God is redeeming us. And he promises us a future hope of complete restoration of all things. Because God in his love is restoring everything. So Paul has joy because he does not link God's love to his situation. And friends, that's maybe the main thing we do that robs us of our joy. We link them. We think every time something goes bad, God doesn't love me. Well, if God doesn't love you, can you have any joy in your heart if you feel like God doesn't love you today? Okay, wake up today. Guess what? I found a new chapter of the Bible. It says, on this day, God doesn't love you anymore. And I'd say, what's your joy quotient today? Is it real high? Of course not. I found out God doesn't love me today. If you don't know God's love, you can't know God's joy. And so Paul doesn't link them together. He says they're not, they're not linked together. We sometimes in our mind link them together because I understand it. We kind of wrestle with it. Well, if God loves me, why'd this happen if he can change it? He's letting the whole world play itself out and sin has negative effects. If you eat it, you will die. And Adam and Eve ate it. And we've all died. We're all in the process of dying. So, Don't link God's love um, and circumstances. Number three, and this one isn't necessarily, this is tied to joy, but it just, you need to understand this to walk in joy. Lack and abundance both have challenges. Lack and abundance both have challenges. This is also from chapter 12 or verse 12 where he just says, hey, I've learned to get along with humble means. I've learned to get along with prosperity, and this is challenges to joy. Paul said he had learned the secret of living in both abundance and lack. Both have unique challenges to joy. In lack, when we don't have a lot, we can focus on our need for whatever we're short of. It might be food. It's hard to not focus on that, right? Or money to pay the rent. It's hard to not focus on it, but we can focus on our need alone obsess about that thing we're lacking of. And what's that do? We obsess on this, and it takes our eyes off of Jesus. Paul says, lift up your eyes, right? He says, think on things above, right? And so we take our eyes off of things above, off of Jesus and the goodness of God and the kingdom of God, and we put them on our, in our own situation of lack. We focus more on that than we do on thinking of the things of God, and that takes our eyes off the source of joy. Because we've already said it. Jesus is the source of joy. Now, one may think that that would, that that would happen in lack, but that would not happen in abundance. But it does. In fact, I think keeping our eyes on Jesus, thinking on things above, is much more difficult in seasons of abundance than it is in seasons of lack. In fact, I believe, and I can't prove it from Scripture, but I think this is true. I believe that one of the devil's greatest tactics is to influence situations to bless God's people so that they fixate on what they can get, what they can do, where they can go, so that they forget about God or at least give very little attention to God. 
The devil loves to use the distraction of abundance to keep our eyes off of the Lord. And if there's any message that would have gone to the Laodicean church, when John's writing to Laodicea, that's what he's basically saying. You're rich and well-fed and in need of nothing. And if you're in need of nothing, you're not in need of God. At least you think you're not in need of God. And so one of the greatest hindrances to joy is abundance. We have to understand that in abundance, we still need God. Paul says in both situations, lack and abundance, the key to joy is Jesus. Don't let your situation, whether lack or abundance, distract you from Jesus. Distract you from abiding with him continually. That's the key to joy. And both lack can keep us from that and abundance can keep us from that. That makes sense? Number four. Now this one we should have said first, but I'm taking it in order of the text, okay? Number four. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. Verse 13. I said it when I read it. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is the source of joy. Paul understands this. He can handle whatever comes his way in life, and a lot came his way, because he operates by the strength of Jesus in his life. He understands this. He is not left to rely on his own wisdom and ability and strength. When you're younger, you tend to do that. As you mature, you realize on your own, you don't have what it takes to really overcome in this world. Because this world is set against us. Paul understood that. He understood, I rely, I can, he didn't say I can do all, all things because I had a better education. And man, I, Jesus talked to me. Jesus got me alone and talked to me. He didn't say that. He says, I can do all things through my relationship with Christ. Just because Christ dwells in him. Jesus promised that when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he would send another comforter, another helper, he said, the Holy Spirit. And he wouldn't but just be with us, he would be in us. The Spirit of God dwells within the child of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, then his Spirit resides within you to empower you and to live out a victorious life. And he invites us to say, Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. Baptize me in your power. Let me live a life of your power, strength, and fullness. Friends, knowing this, really believing this and experiencing this brings joy. When I know that, that I can um, when I know that I can handle whatever comes my way, not because of me, but because of the Spirit of God residing within me, then fear, please. Concern goes away. Worry fades away, and they're all replaced with joy that arises because it's all from Jesus in my life, right? Because I'm relying on Jesus, my stress goes down. I'm not relying on myself. I can be joy-filled instead of stress-filled when I realize I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not through Mark who's going to figure it all out. Amen? Ready for number five? Am I going really fast here? Point five already? It's 
not, it's only seven till. Number five, this is an important one, stay generous. Maybe not stay generous, become generous if you're not generous. Stay generous, or because he's saying that to the Philippians, stay generous. But for anybody, become or be generous. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now let's put this in its historical context because it makes a lot more impact. The Philippian church, as we said, continued to financially support the Apostle Paul no matter where he went and what he did in ministry. And in 2 Corinthians, um, it says, it's referring to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's talking about the, the Philippians giving. And in 2 Corinthians, it says that they did this even though they themselves were in abject poverty. Listen to what it says, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3. That in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality or generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Look what Paul does here. He connects generosity and joy. Remember, he didn't connect God's love um, and circumstances. What he does is he connects generosity and joy. The Philippians had, what does he say, an abundance of joy, even though it says they were living in poverty. See that? They were living in poverty, and they had an abundance of joy, in part because of their generosity. Jesus said, remember this, Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Blessings come from being generous. Joy is a blessing that results from generosity. Joy is a blessing that results from generosity. I think we would all agree, if you think about your life, that the most joy-filled people you know are the most generous with their resources and their time and their love. Think about it. Think about the people that are the, the most generous with their time, their love, their resources, they're always there to help. Those people, you would, I believe you would say, they're the most happy people I know or joy-filled people that I know. And I think the opposite is true. Most of us would say that the most joyless people we know are those who are most stingy. Stingy with their love, stingy with their time, stingy with their resources. They're the most joyless people are the most stingy people. So do you want to have a heart that's full of joy? Do you want joy in your soul? What's Paul say here? It's the link. Be generous. You know what? Why don't we give it a try this week? This week, be overwhelmingly generous toward someone and see how you feel after you do it. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's with your time, maybe it's by pouring out love, maybe it's by some other way that you're being generous with your life and see how you feel when you're done. I bet you will feel joy in your soul. Because that's what Paul is saying. Number six, God is paying attention. God is paying attention. Look, starting in the verse, second half of verse 17, 
and then all of 18. It says, in verse 17, he's talking about, I'm not seeking profit for myself. He said, you gave me gifts, but I'm not looking for my own need. He says, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, this will fill your heart with joy. Look at how God looks at your generosity. This is what he's talking about here. He's saying this is how God sees you when you're giving, when you're generous. How does God see you? It says he sees it as what? As credit to your account? Paul's not talking, Paul doesn't have an account. He doesn't have some missionary account book. And he says, well, the Philippians, they gave me another $20. He's talking about the Lord. He's saying it is a credit to your account. It's a fragrant aroma. That's another way that the scripture talks about prayer also. It's a fragment aroma before the Lord. It's an acceptable sacrifice. He's saying this is giving to the Lord. It is well-pleasing to God. How does God see your generosity? It's a credit to your account. It's a fragrant aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God. God sees what you do. It matters to God. So many times we think, does what I do matter? It matters to God when you're generous. He's looking at it and he's saying, I'm, I'm taking account of it. God accounts for our good works. Just knowing that brings joy to your heart. Listen to a quote from Mother Teresa. This is one of the many quotes that's hanging on my office wall. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you, are, if you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. Do good, um, do good. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. Here's a line. For you see, in the end... It is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. In the end, it is between you and God. Friends, Christian friends, rejoice in the reality that God is paying attention to what you do and he will reward you for your generosity and your loving kindness towards others. God is paying attention to how you're living and he's, and he's pleased with it when we're generous. He's pleased with it when our lives are full of good works. And he's take, he says he's accounting for it. That'll bring joy to your heart, won't it? You say, I want to do good. I make God, you want to make God happy today? Do good to someone. Someone he loves. Who does he love? Everyone. Ready for the last one? Number seven, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He or he will do it again. Verse 19. For my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Look at what Paul's saying here. My God, in my Bible, my, your, and his are underlined. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Paul is speaking from experience and he says this, he says, my God. 
not just a generic God, my God, the one who has supplied for me, Paul saying over and over again, the one who has met his needs again now through the generosity of the church in Philippi, my God, Paul says, will supply your needs. He's saying, I know it to be true. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. My God will supply your needs. Based on Paul's experience with God, he can confidently say that God will meet your needs. And how does he meet your needs? From his limitless supply. His, according to his riches in glory. How much lack does God have? None. How much abundance does God have? We can't even imagine it. And Paul says, God will meet My God will meet your needs according to his riches in glory. That'll fill your heart with joy instead of stress. How is this going to work out? How is this need going to be met? What do I know? When I'm living with God and I'm living focused on him and I'm living in generosity, then I know this. My God, Paul's God, will meet my needs according to his God's riches in glory. That'll fill our heart with with joy because his resources never run out. He did it before, and he'll do it again. And we can rest in that great promise. Amen? What a great way Paul ends this letter. That's why I had to go back to chapter 4. Debbie, I had to. I couldn't just say I was done. All these joy-inspiring truths. Contentment is the key. Don't link God's love to your situation. Lack and abundance both have challenges. Jesus is the source. Stay generous. God is paying attention and he'll do it again. Seven truths. What if each day of every week, seven, remember why I chose seven? Could have probably squeezed it into eight or compressed it into six. Why? What if each day of the week we focused on one of these? Do you think you would feel more joy-filled? I believe we would. If every day we took one of these, reviewed what it meant, and I said, God, I want to I live into that this day. I want to live into it. I want to be generous today. I want to pay attention. I'm going to pay attention. Part of spiritual growth, one of the most important things of personal development is paying attention, being aware of what's going on in, in you and around you, and say, I'm going to be generous today. And I want to I want to pay attention to the, my my joy level today. I guarantee you, as you if you're jo- if you're generous, your joy will increase. So seven days, um, when you're focused on you know that that next thing I have to have, that next accomplishment I have to great man, if, and your mind is telling you, if you just get it, you will then find joy and contentment. And you go, well, wait a minute now, no, that's not what Paul said. He said I can learn to have joy in all circumstances. In abundance and in lack. My joy is not tied to my circumstance. My joy is tied to Jesus. If every day we'll go through this. I would bet if this week for seven days we took one of these every day, I bet you we'll have a a behind those masks. There will be a lot more smiles, a lot bigger smiles next Sunday. And wouldn't that be a good thing? That would be a great thing. Let's pray together. Lord, We want to live the way that you intended for us to live. You intended us to live full, rich, 
joy-filled lives. You did not intend for us to be sour. You did not intend for us to be stressed. You did not intend for us to be, to be downtrodden. You intended, you created humanity to live in joy and love and peace. And Lord, we see from your word that again, you're just shouting to us that it's possible. And it's not about us, but it's about us recognizing what you are doing and what you can do and what you want to do. So today, Lord, for our, for our, for our wonderful church family, I pray that the, that the eternalness and the power of your word would transform our thinking and our narratives, what we believe and what life should be like, and we would see it as it can be in you. And that, Lord, we would be filled with joy, the joy that comes from walking with you. And, Father, I would ask this for every single person in this place, Lord, if, there, if there's anyone struggling, and Lord, I said, who struggles with joy? Who's good? We, most of us raise our hand. God, as we're struggling to just feel your joy, I pray this right now, a gift. I ask for a gift. Would you right now, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, joy is a, is a result of a spirit-filled life. As we open up our hearts right now, we say, yes, God. Come, Holy Spirit. That, Lord, you would begin to fill our souls with joy. Right now, any of the wrong thinking that keeps joy from being full in our lives, let's let the bubble to the top right now. Help us to identify it. That idea that says, if I just have more, I'll be finally find joy. If my life just works out a certain way, I'll finally have joy. And help us to see, God, that you are joy. And in you is our fullness of joy. And help us right now in this abiding moment to feel your joy. So, Lord, we love you today. We open up our hearts to you. We ask you, Lord, help us to live joy-filled lives in the midst of a world in turmoil so that we shine as lights in the darkness and we can invite other people out of the darkness into your marvelous light where they can experience your goodness and your We know that's your plan, Jesus. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Close the way we so often do. Praying this great blessing over our church. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful, joy-filled day. If you'd like prayer, we'll be up here to pray with you. Otherwise, go and spread some joy wherever you put your feet today. 
God bless you. Amen.